God's Word in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 15 for context. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, would you fill us with your Spirit? Would we be people who are full of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Lord, because of your Spirit, would there be a marked difference in us as we look more and more like you each day? It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, some of you may remember Gavin Crow. He was with us for several years until he moved off when he got out of the Air Force and about a year ago, I took Gavin to have his tonsils removed. You know, with modern technology, medicine, anesthesia, it's rather routine surgery. In fact, it almost seemed like they had patient after patient lined up, almost like a tonsil removing mill there, taking them in and out. However, though the surgery is rather minor, the pain would be quite horrible if not for the medicine they gave. And yet, while the medications remove pain... They also create some rather funny comments and moments from the patient. Now, I'm not going to share anything from Gavin's time, but you can go online and watch all kinds of funny examples of people complaining that their tongue has fallen out, that they are proposing to the nurse as they're coming out of their anesthesia, or they just can't stop laughing uncontrollably. You know, all of this is happening because they're under the influence of the medication. And while that medication leads us to humorous stories, sadly we know people can be under the influence of other things like alcohol and then lead to tragedies when they drive and then cause fatalities. And last week we saw, look, we're not to be under the influence of wine, it says in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, but rather we're to be filled with God's Spirit. What's to influence our lives is the Spirit of of God. And we delved into that, how God gave us a good gift of wine, but as all his good gifts, we can distort it and ruin our lives. And we discussed how in the book of Acts, God graciously sent his spirit first to the Jews, then to the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. And he did that because at that unique point in history, God had each of them receive the spirit after their conversion so that he could make clear that his love was not just for the Jews. It was for Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, and all the people of the earth. And now, though, it's not just that we receive the Spirit after we're saved. We saw 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that every believer has the Spirit of God. You don't need a second blessing to have the Spirit of God, we said. But then that kind of poses a dilemma. If that's true, then why does Paul tell us here, be filled with the Spirit? The reason is because while all believers have the Spirit of God, we, like the person who drinks too much, can be under the influence of something else. The command here is to live under the influence of the Spirit of God. 
not alcohol, not pride, not envy, not the opinions of others or anything else. Rather, we to be filled with and live under the influence of God's Spirit. <coughs> Yet, cultural factors make be filled with the Spirit rather challenging to understand. If you turn on the television and go to so-called Christian television, you might think that this means you need some dramatic external experience. That if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be able to speak in tongues. You might need to see healings occurring around you, and perhaps there will even be people laughing in the Spirit and being slain in the Spirit, whatever those things mean. It's conveyed to be some esoteric, mystical experience. And yet, 2 Timothy 1.7, God tells us that He gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. God's Spirit always leads to more control in our life, not less control. And here, we don't have to guess what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Paul shows us. Verse 18 is the command, be filled with the Spirit. And then there are three examples. Each one of them is a participle, ending in ing. Addressing one another, that's how we're filled by the Spirit. Verse 20, giving thanks always. And verse 20, submitting to one another. And so that is our three points of the sermon. If you have an outline, you can see it on the back. To be filled by the Spirit, we need to be singing to God and one another. We need to be giving thanks to God, and we need to be submitting to one another. But first, singing to God and one another. Paul explains the first way we're filled with the Spirit is by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, we are filled by God's Spirit by the means of singing to one another. Flip over two books. We're in Ephesians. If you flip to the right, the next one is Philippians and then Colossians. Flip over to Colossians 3.16 where we're going to read an almost identical phrase or verse from Paul. Colossians 3.16. It reads, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In Colossians, Paul can say, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And in Ephesians, he can say, Be filled with the Spirit. And then in both of them, he says, by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why can he write those interchangeably? Because to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with God's Word. You know, any so-called spirituality that takes you away from God's Word is not from God. True spirituality flows from the Word of God, leading us to be filled with God's Spirit. And we're told in both Ephesians and Colossians that the way this happens is singing. Now, if the word of Christ comes through singing, that means the songs that we sing or the songs that we just sung should be focused and filled with God's word. You know, we try to sing songs that are clearly praising God and not just kind of giving amorphous praise to you could sing to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or just about anyone. And like scripture, we're told to sing psalms and hymns, our songs should reflect a variety of themes and emotions. Almost 15 years ago, a man named Carl Truman wrote an essay entitled, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? And his point was that sadly, so much of Christian music only comes across as jolly. 
there's little room for lament over a lost child, over a broken relationship, over debilitating illness. In his essay, he writes, Perhaps we have drunk so deeply at the well of modern materialism that we simply do not know what to do with such cries and regard them as little short of embarrassing. Yet the human condition is a poor one. And Christians who are aware of the deceitfulness of the human heart and are looking for a better country should know this. A diet of unremittingly jolly hymns inevitably creates an unrealistic horizon which sees the normal Christian life as one long, triumphant street party, a theologically incorrect and pastorally disastrous scenario in a world of broken individuals. A long story short with all those big words, he's saying, look, there are times in this life that have sorrow. And if all we do is ever sing, make me a sunbeam, which is a great song in its own right, we are going to miss out on helping those Christians who don't feel like a sunbeam that day. They feel like the sun's been beaming on them and they're under the heat of God's sorrow. So what do we do? Well, we sing to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, if you read through the psalms, they have this mixture. They have songs of just utter praise and they have songs of lament. And we do this because it's not always sad. It's not always joyful. It's both. So we have songs of lament and we have songs of joy and celebration. Psalm 67, 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and give the nations and guide them upon the earth. Psalm 98, 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. You know, sometimes... We humans tend to overreact. We recognize how so much of Christian music can be light and trivial and amorphous, and so we become somber and serious and do not partake in such levity of joy. And yet we're called to have joy in the Lord. We don't need to overreact. We should have both songs that reflect on how we have sorrow and songs that reflect on the great joy we have in Christ. But why does God even want us to sing? I mean, aren't sermons, articles, podcasts, books, I mean, aren't those the way we're really going to grow? Well, those are good, but God made us so that music powerfully moves us. You know, music powerfully moves us emotionally. You know, I'm sure there's some songs that as soon as you hear it, you get a little misty. Or you just start singing happily along. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you can't go into any business without music going on in the background. Every grocery store, every department store has music going on. Why? Because they know that music will put you in a more cheerful mood. Movies know the power of music, and every movie has a soundtrack. In fact, if you get to a very tense part and you just hit mute, almost all the tension's gone. The music moves us emotionally. Music powerfully affects us spiritually. You may remember in the Old Testament when King Saul would have an evil spirit, what drove it away? Music from David. 
You know, the great reformer, Martin Luther, he brought back to the church congregational singing because before that, the church had largely moved to just having select singers. But Luther knew the power of music. Now, Luther was not one to always cautiously guard his opinions. And in this, he writes, Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our hearts, minds, and spirits. A person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God does not deserve, deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. Now, we may not agree with everything Luther said, but his main point is clear that God made music, and it powerfully moves us. And church history has borne the power of music. In the 3rd century, there was a man named Arius who began to teach that there was a time when Jesus was not. Or in other words, Jesus was a creation just like everyone else except God, he said. Now, Arius' teaching, they didn't change the mind of any of the church leaders. He didn't lead a big change there. But what he did is he started to write psalms. Psalms that he conveyed to merchants and businessmen who traveled. And he wrote the song so well, he had such good lyrics that the people were led to change their view of Christ because of the power of the songs. Even today, music and its lyrics have power to lead us to change for good or ill. That's why you should be cautious what you listen to. Is what I'm listening to glorifying God or is it glorifying sin? And making sin seem to be enjoyable. You know, on the flip side, we can use music for the power of good. While our children were younger, we often listened to songs from a group called Seeds of Worship. And all their songs are just scripture verses put to song. A great way to learn God's word. But notice to whom Ephesians tells us. So back to Ephesians chapter 5. Notice to whom we are singing. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then we'll go on to see, see that we are singing and making melody to the Lord. So when we sing, we have two audiences. We have one another, and we sing to the Lord. You know, when we think of singing, we often think of singing to God only, which we do sing to Him. But if you consider that you're singing to each other. You know, as the song comes, and we're singing about joy in the Lord, and you sit there, rejoice, rejoice, let every tongue rejoice, you are singing something to your neighbor. But when you sing with joy, and your body and your face rejoices, you are singing something to your neighbor. As you see the person in our body who's been struggling and you can see them with tears sing rejoice you're singing to your neighbor as you know life is going well and they look like they're just waiting till the time wraps up you're singing something to your neighbor and there's an implication in this and that is that you can't obey god and only worship alone well that's harsh i mean Come on, Pastor Jeremy, everyone experiences God differently. Who am I to say that you can only, you should worship with others and not just alone? I mean, what if that's the way they connect to God? 
Well, let's consider a different scenario. Imagine going to a birthday party of a young boy who, as we might say, is all boy. He loves trucks, Nerf guns, sports, outdoors. But you decide, you know, the way I connect with toys is dolls. So I'm going to give the boy a doll. I think we'd all look at you and say, what are you talking about? This isn't your birthday. This is for him. What do they want? But we're not talking about birthday presents to a boy. We're talking about worship to God. And if God has said, I want you to worship by singing to one another, then who are we to say, but I like singing by myself. You know, that's not just being rude like to a young boy. That is denying God his prerogative as the supreme authority of the universe. If he desires to be worshipped with others, then we should desire to do what he commands. So, yes, worship alone. Sing in your car, sing in your house, and also gather with God's people because God calls for us, not just here, but throughout Scripture, to gather and sing joyful praises to him. Well, the second audience, as we've already made clear, is God singing and making melody to the Lord. Psalm 30 verse 4, Sing praises to the Lord, O you as saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 47 7, For the God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. We sing because of the greatness of who God is. And Jesus tells us if we won't praise him, the rocks themselves will cry out in praise to God. Isaiah 55.12 tells us that one day they shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now, right now we're told that creation groans under the curse of sin longing to be restored. But one day it will rejoice. Thus the creation, mountains, hills, trees, will break forth into joyful song and clapping. And notice, where does this song spring from? It tells us there at the end of verse 19, with your heart. You know, anyone can go in and say the right words. You can put the right expressions on your body, and yet your heart be far from the Lord. You know, our whole being should be delighting in God and finding joy in Him. Now notice, it doesn't say singing with excellence, but singing with joy in your heart. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to let anyone lead worship, but it does mean that everyone should be contributing to worship. You know, singing to God means that He cares more about what flows from your heart than the quality of what's coming from your lips. It's like the child who comes and presents to you a picture. And you look at it and you go, that's a beautiful elephant. And they laugh, oh, daddy, you're so funny. That's a horse. And you're like, oh, thanks. And yet, your heart is happy. Why? Because they're sitting there beaming because they gave you this picture. You don't go, pfft. That's not a horse. Look, you made the, the, the nostrils too big. That looks like a trunk. I don't want this. Their joy in 
giving you pleasure is what brings pleasure to it. In the same way, God is not wondering, well, they missed that note. I don't want to hear that. Oh, boy, they really can't carry a tune there. He's concerned about what is going on in your heart. Is there joy in the Lord? So adults, let the joy of the Lord fill your heart and shine on your face as we sing. Children, may I encourage you, this is not just an hour to endure, but an hour in which you get to come and sing with others to the King of the universe who loves you and cares about you. Think about what we're singing and then with joy, sing out with praise to God. And as we sing, we also see in verse 20 that we give thanks to God. Verse 20, our second point, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. So let's ask a few questions. How often should we give thanks? Giving thanks always. In other words, this is an attitude of gratitude. This is not a day we have on the fourth Thanksgiving of fourth Thursday of November, though that's a good day. This is not just an event we attend. We're to live lives of thankfulness. Now, that doesn't mean that we can never go around and saying we'd like things to change. We can change, but even as things change or don't change, we have an attitude that's not going around grumbling and complaining, but giving thanks to God for what we have. And for what should we give thanks? Well, Paul's clear. For everything to God the Father. Well, there must have been a typo, some scribal copying error, for we surely can't be expected to give thanks for everything. Give thanks for this ongoing, painful, debilitating medical condition? Give thanks for relatives who are losing their ability to function? Give thanks for a spouse who's not what I hope for? Give thanks for a job that makes me want to lose my mind? Consider Jonah. While he was still in the belly of the fish, Jonah chapter 2, 7 through 10, he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You know, Jonah wasn't giving thanks after he was delivered, but during the time he was in trouble. In fact, this began when he thought his life was fainting away. You know, it's always easy to give thanks after the situation is over, but Jonah gave thanks while it was still going on. And the Apostle Paul, he's not writing this as a distinguished chair of theology at a prestigious university, looking down over a long life and reflecting on some theological books that he's read. He's often writing from prison. And consider once when he went to the city of Philippi and he was arrested for freeing a girl from the slavery and a demon. And he was arrested and beaten, and it says in Acts 16, 23 through 25, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were 
giving thanks even in the trial. I've mentioned before the lives of Betsy and Corey Ten Boom, two Dutch women who were imprisoned during World War II by the Nazis for helping protect Jews. And after their arrest, they were taken to a concentration camp in Germany, which had really horrific conditions. Their first night, they came in to bunks made of just the most rough wood, stacked three high, so narrow that you couldn't sit all the way up. And as they climbed into what were their bunks, they almost gagged at the smell of the rotten straw they were supposed to sleep on. They sat there moving back and forth between sitting up to not smell to lying down until at one point, Corey lurched up crying, Fleas! And to their distress, they realized the bunk room was overridden with fleas. And she cried out to her sister, Betsy, how are we going to live in such a place? And Betsy sat there, and then she remembered their Bible that read morning, reading that morning, and she had Corey reread it, what we read earlier. 1 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. Betty, Betsy interrupted. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. In the book, The Hiding Place, Corey, the author, writes that she stared at her sister incredulously, then around at the dark, foul-smelling room and said, such as, Betsy replies, such as being assigned here together. So Corey bit her lip and said, yes, Lord, thank you for letting us being assigned here together. Such as what you're holding in your hands. And Corey looked down and saw her Bible and said, Yes, Lord, thank you for letting us have a Bible in here. Betsy, thank you for the very crowding here, since we're packed so close that many will hear God's word. She looked at Corey and, Corey? So Corey replied, All right, thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuff packed, suffocating crowds. Betsy continued, Thank you for the fleas. And Corey cut her off. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Well, at this point, we need to pause because we can get so focused on one aspect of God's word that we fail to remember other parts. You know, there's a major difference between giving thanks for what God does with something and thinking it is good. God is always good, but if you read through the Psalms, as we've already mentioned, it's clear they lament some circumstances. And this is not sinful because they're looking to God and trusting God in those difficult times. You know, if we don't realize this, then we'll become very cruel and heartless. We'll see someone go through a tragedy and we'll rip out 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Give thanks in everything. Well, yes, we do give thanks in all circumstances. But that is not the same as giving thanks for every circumstance. In some circumstances, we give thanks that God is good and, as Jesus did on the night he was betrayed, he says, if possible, take this cup from me. But he didn't end there. He knew his Father's goodness, even in suffering, so he added, but not my will, but yours be done. You know, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But that does not say God says everything is good. Evil is still evil. Suffering is still rough suffering. 
God works it for good, but we don't need to call it good. Well, so how do we give thanks? Well, he tells us how in the end of verse 20, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our thanks takes proper shape when we remember that all good things we have only come to us through Jesus. Without his death and resurrection for our sin, all we would receive is punishment. Yet we get to enjoy God's blessings. We get to enjoy God's good gifts because Jesus purchased them for us. This is where Ephesians started. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, this is not explicitly stated, but why is this giving thanks both a sign of being spirit-filled and the way to be spirit-filled? Well, I believe it's because to be a thankful person to God in the name of Jesus Christ is to have your life reoriented to who you truly are and what God made you to be. You know, our culture makes us think we were made to eat, drink, and be merry. We are inundated with messages and commercials telling us that we deserve more. And we should make our goal the pursuit of happiness. Thus, we tend to go to one of two extremes. We either fall into self-pity, dissatisfaction as we constantly compare ourselves to others and think, it's not fair, I don't have what they have. It's not fair, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and my life isn't great. Or, we go to the other extreme and work quite proud. Look at everything I've accomplished. Look at all the prestige I have. Look at all the things I've done. And either one, self-pity or self-boasting, squeezes out thankfulness. You know, thankfulness comes when we realize we're utterly dependent on God for everything. And we've sinned and rebelled against Him, and we only deserve His judgment. Yet in His great mercy, love, and grace, He had Jesus take that punishment for us. And as we humbly confess our true condition and God's gracious character, then we have hearts of thankfulness. You know, without the Spirit of God, we live out exactly what Romans one twenty one describes as, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. You know, that's the heart of people who don't have the Spirit of God. And when we have the Spirit of God, we get our eyes off ourselves and on to Christ. You know, that's what the Spirit's role is. The Spirit's role is to shine our focus on Christ. So if we have the Spirit in our life, then that's what we'll do. We'll get our focus off of ourselves and on the thanks for Christ. And if, like the Spirit, our focus is off ourselves and on to Christ, then we'll be submitting to one another. That's our last section, submitting to one another, verse 21. You know, Paul says the same idea, but a slightly different way. Flip over one book, the Philippians. We'll look at chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You know, what does this submitting to one another mean? Well, he spells it out for us. Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. You know, if by the Spirit of God we haven't yet reoriented our life to reality, 
then we'll be proud, boastful, and unwilling to humble ourselves to others. Or we'll be the other side, we'll be full of self-pity. We may serve others, but we're not doing it out of joy and gratitude. We, in contrast though, if we're living with the Spirit flowing in us, we're humble and eager to serve and submit to one another out of love. And we do this because when we recognize who we truly are and who God truly is, we recognize that in Christ we are equals. Galatians 3, 23, 28 sorry, says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Before God, there are no longer any external divisions that make us better or worse. To approach God, you don't need to be a Jew. You don't need to be a Gentile. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to be poor. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or any other non-moral distinction we make. You're the bank president comes to God as the equal terms as the bank teller. The principal of the school comes to God on the same terms as the janitor. Black, brown, white, we all have the same access and relationship to God through Christ. And thus, as we're told back in Ephesians chapter 5, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, we submit our desires and lives to one another. Now, of course, we don't submit to someone's suggestion to sin. We don't submit to unwise, foolish things to do. As well, this is not denying that God has still given us various levels of authority in this world. We'll see in the next chapter that God has told children to obey their parents. But he doesn't tell parents to obey their children. You know, the point is that, yes, the child and the parent both have equal access to God. But that doesn't mean they have the same relationship to each other on earth. They should, yes, be willing to humble themselves and serve one another, but they are still levels of authority in there and good authority and rightful submission actually bless our lives to submit to someone else to sit to submit to my brother or sister in christ is not to say they have more value or worth than i do but that god has ordained a good structure in this world and that out of love i want to hear what they have to say and serve them you know, we can see that Submission doesn't mean that you're lower than by the fact that we're told in Luke 2.51 that Jesus went down with Mary and Joseph and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. You know, Jesus was not of less value than Mary and Joseph, yet he willingly submitted to his parents. Thus, if we want to be and have been filled with the Spirit of God, then we don't walk around feeling superior to other Christians. We won't think they should always go around heeding what we want, doing our desires. No, we humbly consider what they want and freely give up our desires to serve them. Before we conclude, let me note an extremely important implication here, and that is that the early church considered Jesus to be God. Now, we could say that for lots of reasons throughout the New Testament, but let me point out to you here, first, the Old Testament is clear that the only being that you should give thanks to, ultimately, is God. And yet here, Paul calls for thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. You imagine just changing that. Give thanks to God in the name of Paul the Apostle. 
we like, well, we can't do that because we recognize that's blasphemous. And yet Paul can write that because he considered Christ to be God. Second, we're told to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the Old Testament idea of fearing the Lord. Again, the Old Testament, all of the Jews of Paul's day would be steeped in that only reverence should be given to God. And I say all this and point this out because sometimes you'll hear people say, well, this idea that Jesus was divine, that he was God, that, that kind of morphed into the Christian mythology over a couple centuries. And yet here we see in what even, even people who aren't believers, a letter early on, just several years, maybe a couple decades after Christ, in which Christians are pointing out that Jesus is God. So to wrap this up, to be filled with the Spirit of God is not esoteric or some mystical experience. Rather, Paul is showing us we do that by singing to one another the truths of God and His Word, by giving thanks to God and submitting to one another. If you remember from last week, this is a culture that was filled with the worship of Artemis and Bacchus. And in Bacchus, they would get drunk and then do all kinds of sinful acts. And Paul's saying, in contrast to that, you should be filled with the Spirit. Now, some of you know the story of the hiding place and the ten booms. And you know I cut off the story in the middle. Because while Corey was quite incredulous for giving thanks for fleas, she later learned more about them. One day, she came back to the barracks and found her sister, Betsy, all smiles. And Betsy said, this afternoon, there is confusion here in the barracks, so we asked the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice as she exclaimed, because of the fleas. That's what she said. The place is crawling with fleas. Corey's mind, the book says, then raced back to their first night in the barracks. She remembered Betsy bowing her head and thanking God for fleas while she could see no good from them. Now don't mishear the story. We in this life will not always get to see how the suffering in front of us is being used for good. She got to see that. She got to have a glimpse of how a miserable infestation of fleas actually led to God working in their lives. But we don't always get to see that. But whether we see it or not, God has promised that He is working all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So knowing our amazing God, let us sing to one another. Let us give thanks to God and let us submit to one another. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your amazing providence, your amazing love and grace. Though we don't have to come in and kind of force up some thankfulness that we really don't feel, but that we know that you are worthy of all praise and adoration, that the thanks we give is a small token for all that you've given to us in Christ. Lord, would you help us to be a church truly filled with your spirit, that we might be a light, that we might be salt to those around us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.